The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to another episode of the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast, a special episode in a way because we are taking the air, for those of you joining us live, we are taking the air just before America's birthday, July 4th, and uh, it's July 3rd as we record today, in case you're not very good at math and you didn't put that one together. But my co-host, sun's out, guns out, John Sheeran, how you doing, buddy? More like sun's out, heat's out. We've been in a heat wave in, in Cincinnati. I don't know if a heat wave constitutes as the same thing in Los Angeles, but it's been like 85 of like 70% humidity, and my, I've just been boiling. So, yeah, the, the, the guns are out as, as a response, unfortunately. It, it does not constitute the same thing in Southern California as, as, a, uh, as a heat wave, if you will. Um, we, we don't really get the similar temperature to humidity aspect out here, but every once in a while we get them, but very, very rare. It's been, it's been warmer out my way, but, uh, more like mid seventies, high seventies, not, uh, not, uh, God, I hate you. <laughs> uh, speaking of love, hate, John, I absolutely loved your tweet that you threw out earlier today to promote the show. That was freaking epic, my friend. Um, and the reason why you must have known, uh, I'm secretly dating Alex Morgan. I didn't know if you knew that or not. So uh, she is she's my girlfriend. Um, she's really not, but that's my that's my sports well, that's, crush. I'm, I'm actually and dating Kelly O'Hara, so I'm, there, I'm, there, I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed to find that out. We, we could have gone we went on some great double dates. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, but you superimposed my face on on what I think is Alex Morgan's jersey. Um, I also wore number 13 throughout sports too. So that was, it's just, you know, you just knew me, you knew the, me, buddy. The, the intuition was there. The intuition was there. <laughs> uh, but that was freaking epic. And for those who follow I just love that newspaper. It was like, are, are these American stars too arrogant? Yeah. Classic. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty epic. And um, for, for those uh, who did maybe did not see the world cup, the, uh, the women uh, advanced through the semifinals uh, so good, good for the U.S. women's team, and we are based on John Sheeran's tweet. 
and a specific celebration by Mrs. Morgan, Miss Morgan, however you want to address her. Uh, we are going to do a segment in just a little bit called uh, Bangle, Best Bangles Tea Sipping Moments. So we'll explain that in just a little bit. We're also going to try and get to some potential breakout players. We've put that one off for the past couple of weeks. We kept teasing that we're going to do it, but I think we're finally going to get to it today. And uh, we're going to kick the show off with a potential preseason star for the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, so uh, let's just let's just get right to it. And before we do, actually, question of the night for the live listeners, for those of you following us on Twitter, uh, we're... we're Curious to know if you've got some specific plans for the July 4th holiday. If you got some traditions that you want to share with us, we'd love to hear from that. I think this is a an interactive show with our listeners. So if you've got something cool you like to do for, for the July 4th holiday, uh, let us know. And hey, this isn't strictly an American podcast. We've got listeners from all over the world. And uh, so even though you may not be an American or live in America right now, uh, hopefully you can at least celebrate, for, help us celebrate the July 4th holiday with for us. For our UK listeners, I want to know how you guys celebrate this amazing holiday, personally. Yeah, yeah, and uh, especially with the the ladies beating the English team yesterday with that specific uh, celebration by by Alex Morgan. That was, whew, that was, that was a tough one to swallow, I, I would bet, if you're, if you're from the UK. But, uh, sorry guys, I know we've got some friends from the UK listening to the show. But um, anyway, let's move on. Potential preseason star, John. Every year, the Bengals seem to have somebody that the fans uh, cl- cling to, that the media really seems to um, gravitate towards, be it because of a personality, but largely because of their performances in practice, their perform- performances in preseason games. Sometimes these guys end up panning out, making either make the team and or contribute on some levels, and other times it just kind of fizzles out and doesn't really um, equate into anything. If you want to go back in recent history, you can look back to, I believe it was 2009, when uh, when the Bengals were on hard knocks and guys like Tom Nelson and Quan Cosby ended up being kind of uh, you know darlings of that show and then both ended up making the team. Uh, you know, you go back uh, a couple of years ago, I think you had brought up Alex Erickson from, from a couple of years ago. He was a guy that was turning a lot of heads. Dane Sonsenbacher from a couple of years ago was another guy that uh, was, was turning a lot of heads. And of course, most recently, you know, you've got touchdown Jesus, who uh, he's not really matriculated into anything for anybody. And um most recently last year out in Tate. So if we are to look at some of the players on the Bengals roster today, and as training camp is just about three weeks away here, um, who do you see being a guy that either nobody's really talking about uh, that could emerge as one of those preseason stars, or maybe a guy that has hovered around the roster for a little bit and is due uh, maybe because he's entering year two, year three, has been on the practice squad, that sort of thing. I like how you mentioned a lot of scrappy white dudes and then just out and Tate. But yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of receivers <laughs> Unintentional. There. Well, there's yeah. Quan Cosby. Quan yeah, Cosby. Yeah, yeah. He, he's scrappy in his own way. But yeah, um, I, I'm looking towards the defensive side of the ball because I'm thinking like, you know, guys who kind of stand down in preseason usually play positions that um, 
like maybe like the starters, like the main backups are going to make the team aren't exactly at the top of the roster. They're kind of underwhelming in their own way. So just their performances are highlighted by the underwhelmingness of those playing in front of them. And so I'm looking at the defensive line and the linebackers specifically defensive line. Ronald Reynolds Wren wasn't my favorite draft pick, but I feel like he's like the perfect guy to just like break out and, and preseason and put up, put up some insane stat lines, kind of similar to Marcus Hunt a couple years ago, just because the dude's huge and he's strong and he's fast. And there's nothing more chaotic than one of those guys on the defensive line that are lining up at the A gap or the B gap going up against second and third string offensive linemen. It's a recipe for disaster for most offenses, typically towards the later portion of that game. Assuming Ren is healthy and, and he's able to, to get those reps with the second and third teams, he's going to have a lot of opportunities to just make a lot of splash plays because uh, oftentimes a lot of those guys who really stand out, they're just really high effort guys and just guys who can just win off athleticism because at the end of the day, there's just not a, for, you know, back of offensive linemen, there's not a tech, not a lot of technique involved. So just if there's guys who can just out athlete you basically on, on the defensive line, you have a chance to really make your name, make a name for yourself. So I expect Reynolds Ren, if he really is the athlete that he, he is shown to be in, in a Bengals uniform, I just expect him to really pop off. And just behind him, I'm looking at like Sterling and Sheffield, it just just because, like I said, you know, the linebacker is still in a little bit of a state of a flux and there's not a lot of, not a lot of certainty there. So there's going to be a lot of rotation with those backups. And Sheffield's an interesting guy because he's kind of undersized, but he's extremely fast. He's extremely athletic. And he can be used either as a pass rusher or as an off-ball linebacker. So, again, hustle guys, scrappy guys, guys who play through the play through the whistle, guys who can do multiple things. I'm sure he's going to be on special teams as well. He's a guy to me that I think is going to have a jetpack on, on the back of his back and on the back of his shoulder pads. He's going to be around the ball constantly. And that, that's what he was in college at a small school. I think it was somewhere in the Northeast. And just the ability to do multiple things. And, again, going up against second, third string offensive linemen, guys who weren't going to be able to touch him in the second level or maybe not, not going to be able to block him off the edge. I think he's going to have an interesting preseason if he's able to get the snaps that he should be getting. Interesting guy, uh, Sheffield, that is. Um, kind of size-wise and what you're talking about in terms of a role uh, reminds me a lot of uh, – remember Chris Smith from a couple of years ago? Yes. Um, yeah. Kind of the tweener guy who, you know, the Bengals did this weird – I think they got him in a trade, and he came over. There wasn't – there were not many high expectations for Smith. And then, you know, he comes over, absolutely dominates in the preseason. So the Bengals are like, why well, we got to keep this guy. We got to find right. a way to keep him. Uh, he was on the roster for, for at least a good chunk of the year. And then he ended up signing a pretty big deal with the Browns um, and then did not really, you know, nothing really matriculated from there, but um, you know, kind of, kind of an interesting thing when you talk about Sheffield, he went to, went to Maine, uh, so yeah, definitely yeah. not a not a not a big school uh, in terms of football and, and whatnot. So uh, very interesting guy. There's to me, there's a lot of players who, you know, could stand out. But you, I mean, if you're kind of a film nerd or you really are diving deep into what you're seeing in practice, I mean, you could look at some offensive linemen, but. Those guys to either the casual fan or, um, you know, just in general, the skill positions or guys that are out more on an island on defense or, or you know, kind of play in space. Sometimes those are the guys that pop off, you know, more in, in terms of catching your eye and doing more things on film. I mean, but, you know, you could see guys like Michael Jordan play well uh, and, and get some hype, that sort of thing. Uh, I am going to go – since you did two, I'll, I'll try and do two as well. Uh, 
I'm going to go at, at running back, and I'm going to say Travion Williams turns a lot of heads. Uh, I would say Rodney Anderson, but I think he's going to be pupped and uh, probably, you know, sitting out still, and we may not see him uh, till until later in the season, if, if at all, in 2019. But I think Travion Williams, I, I've, I said this when the Bengals picked him, uh, you know, has a lot of skills. He's, he's only 5'8", but uh, has a lot of skills, put up good numbers in college. And I think what matters is that he is familiar with the scheme, the, the blocking schemes that Jim Turner's guys up front are going to run, being a Texas A&M guy. And, uh, you know, every, every year, because these guys get more and more carries, the Bengals will want to save Joe Mixon, they'll want to save Giovanni Bernard, and they'll want to see what they have in Travion Williams. Some of those guys further down the depth chart at the running back position tend to pop off on tape a bit more because um, they get more carries in the preseason games. So um, that's a guy I think will show quite a bit for the, you know, in the preseason. I don't know if it'll translate to high production in the in the regular season unless the Bengals really try and, you know, utilize a, a three or even four headed monster at, at running back. But I think that's Joe Mixon's – he's going to get definitely the bulk of the touches there. But, uh, you know, I think in the preseason, a guy like Travion Williams will really turn some heads if he if he remains healthy and uh, gets, gets some snaps. Um, you know, I could go a lot of different ways. I, I actually thought about Moritz Bowringer, but uh, I'm not going to go there. I guess I'm going to say – a guy that's going to turn a lot of heads and I, he kind of began to do so in mini camps, but I think with training camp practices being a little more physical and the fact that it's not so it's not going to be totally offensive oriented. I'll go Jordan Brown, the, uh, the late round corner that the Bengals picked, I believe is the seventh round pick this year. I'm going to go, I'm going to go with him. I think he's going to probably do some things and it's going to, um, I think that's going to mean more, in terms of our, you know, our take on him or our respect level on him, because uh, there are some, there are some talented wide receivers that the Bengals have accumulated, and he'll probably be going up against quite a few of those at different times during practice. So, um, you know, I I think that he's got a shot to maybe supplant somebody, uh, you know, some of these guys like Devontae Harris, Tony McRae. Darius Phillips, even Kavari Russell, these are Marvin Lewis guys. Um, and, you know, behind the the top four guys, Kirkpatrick, Jackson, Denard, and B.W. Webb, uh, you know, they're probably only only going to keep one, maybe two corners beyond that. If, if they keep six, it's probably going to be a swing guy that has some sort of defense, uh, some sort of safety type of ability, I guess. But uh, I, I look at Jordan Brown as a guy. He's got decent size, six feet, two hundred one, um, mature guy. He's he's twenty three as a rookie instead of you know some of these guys are, are twenty one that sort of thing. And uh, you know I, I that's a guy I think will will probably turn some heads. So I'm going Travion Williams and Jordan Brown. Am I crazy? No, because Jordan Brown has ball skills and Travion Williams has vision, and I think that's very important because you're, you're dealing with again backup offensive lineman, probably not the greatest uh, space for running backs to run through, but Williams isn't exactly the most athletic running back, but he definitely knows where to go when he has the ball in his hands. And obviously, as you said, he's going to know 
the in and outs of the playbook because the blocking team is based is Jim Turner's the one the offensive line coach and with Brown you know he was such a handsy corner in terms of getting hands on balls and just pass deflections and interceptions at South Dakota State now it's not obviously the Pac-12 or, or the SEC or what or whatnot but up against third string quarterbacks up against third string wide receivers if he gets in a position to play you know off man where he's more, most comfortable with the the ability to distrust his instincts and just follow the ball I think he has the chance to make a couple plays but you know. Both those guys are definitely going to be keen in on special teams, especially early on in the game, and how they perform there is going to determine how much they play after that. But I think those are those are two good picks because Brown has a definite chance, I think, of cracking the roster as maybe that six running as as that six cornerback. And Trayvon Williams just you know as long as he just goes through the motions, he's got that third running back spot locked up. So um, how they rotate both those guys is going to be definitely interesting. And I think they're just both naturally talented, and I think those are probably two of the best picks that the Bengals made on day three. So if they, if they pop off in preseason, I'm definitely happy. Yeah. Uh, Ken Dipple in the live YouTube chat says Stanley Morgan. That's a guy we've talked about quite a bit in terms of a guy who could, he's kind of a bigger, I, I guess of the undrafted free agents. He's kind of a bigger name because he was a guy that most projected to be a day three pick uh, and was not selected. So Stanley Morgan, probably definitely a guy to watch with. This isn't, uh, you know, we, we've tried to segregate the listener questions from our regular show, but I, I did see a question from Austin Tran briefly that kind of plays into what we're talking about here. Uh, what position group do you want to see the most uh, during training camp this year? What, which one will you be paying attention to the most? I, I naturally always pay attention to the offensive line, mainly because that's it's kind of what I watch and because it's always in flux and it's never solved with this team. But... <laughs> But I mean, besides that, linebackers, defensive line, just two of my other interests. I know, I know that they're going to be fine at wide receiver when when it's all said and done, regardless if John Ross breaks out or not. I know they're going to be fine at, at running back. They are who they are at quarterback. There's no real reason to watch. You know, Ryan Finley and Jeff Driscoll struggle to win that backup job. It's just the guys who are going to win those final spots on both lines of scrimmage and win the final spots at linebacker because that's always it's always been an issue for this team to kind of fill out the bottom of those position groups with quality talent that can be counted on to come in in emergency situations because when injuries inevitably hit at those situations, the whole, the whole units just fall apart and collapse and cost them some wins. So, so to, to see if these new guys that are brought in by this new coaching staff, if they can actually be quality contributors, this is where it all starts. And this is what I'm going to be most interested in that because it's always the area of the roster that has the most questions. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to say wide receiver. Uh, I mean, obviously I'm interested in what happens at offensive tackle now that Jonah Williams is gone, but um, you know, I, uh, I'm, I'm interested to see if Josh Malone can hang on to a spot, Cody core can hang on to a spot, how much they will use and how they will use Alex Erickson, as well as guys like Stanley Morgan. Um, you know, uh, the, the other groups of guys that are, that will out and take what's going to happen with him. Uh, you know, these guys that'll, that that'll be pushing for spots. Uh, I, I do see also, um, Brown shoe T2 and Dave Lennox in the live YouTube chat, both, um, mentioned drew sample. I mean, he's not really, he he might continue the hype he's got, he's received and be a preseason hero, I guess, but he's a second round pick. Uh, I, we're, we're kind of talking about guys who have kind of been lost in the shuffle a little bit, be it because they're undrafted or late round picks or, uh, you know, kind of scrap heap free agent guys, that sort of thing. And Drew Sample doesn't really fall into that category, but he is a guy definitely who could uh, be, you know, continue his momentum that, uh, you know, he, he was one of the most highly touted players in the minicamp sessions this spring. 
This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. We are kicking off the July 4th holiday with an episode of our program talking about preseason, potential preseason heroes for the Cincinnati Bengals. We're going to get to a couple of other items and, and segments here in just a couple of minutes. But if you're new to the program, you can get it on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google Play, on Megaphone. You can also get it on YouTube, our videos there. And everything is on cincyjungle.com. So subscribe to our channels, download it how you are able and try and join us live if you're able as well, especially when we do the listeners, uh, the listener question episodes. Uh, we'd love to have you join us and submit those to us. Well, John, I, I teased it at the beginning of the episode. Thanks to Alex Morgan's celebration in the Women's World Cup semifinal win over England. And thanks to your specific tweet, sort of referencing that <laughs> that celebration um we decided to do a segment called the best Bengals tea sipping moments that we that we can the top five list of tea sipping moments now if you're an old man like me and or aren't aren't hip to the to the lingo there is a meme. I believe it's what was it Kermit the Frog? That's kind of what 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 stemmed it. Yeah, he's right. Am I right? Kermit was the one that kind of. Yeah, and it's not dope smoking. It's tea sipping. This, this is not. This is not how anyone smokes a doobie anymore. I don't know what right. they did, but it's not. So. Right, right. Uh, and it's so it's a it's a meme. And uh, again, for those who do not know what a meme is. I don't really know how to help you on that one. Go no, look it up. No, Emmy, 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 go Google it. I actually uh, called it Meme by the French. Meme, Meme. Yeah, it could be. It could be. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but there, there's basically, it's kind of a, um, a way to brag, uh, a humble brag, a, uh, you knew something was gonna. You knew something was gonna happen, and it happened, and people kind of doubted you. Just like, well, that's 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 a shame. That's life. Yep. Yeah. Uh, now, truth be told, as Bengals fans and for the Bengals as a franchise, there has not been a lot of moments like this <laughs> for this team, uh, unfortunately. So, top five might be actually a little difficult to come by, but we're gonna count down our top five. Tea sipping moments for this Cincinnati Bengals. By the way, we also reference the tea sipping because Boston Tea Party, America's birthday. Do you see where we're going here? It's a theme. It's a theme. Okay. We're going to start with ta- with n- our number fives. And, and just to let you know the context and the qualifications of what we're going to be talking about here. This can be a specific celebration by a Bengals player. And there has been a lot of those over the years. It can be a specific victory. It can be a specific play. It can be a specific soundbite from uh, people uh, or, or just a general event in Bengals history. So without further ado, John, your number five Bengals tea sipping moment that you would like to start with. So I had my five when I first saw this, and I've been, just been rearranging it like a lot in the span <laughs> of like 15 minutes. So I settled on uh, Reggie Nelson's interception of Ben Roethlisberger in 2015. I believe it was week eight, I want to say. Bengals okay. were 6-0 and at this time. 
Coming off a bye, playing at Pittsburgh. Usually just two things that don't really go well together. I think at this at this moment in time, you know, most people around the NFL were just like, you know, the Bengals for real. Yeah, they're undefeated, but how, you know, how legitimate are they? And this was a low-scoring game at Pittsburgh, kind of ugly. You know, Bengals got out of the gate with an early score, and then Pittsburgh slowly took back the lead. And then the fourth quarter came around, and Ben Roethlisberger threw a terrible pass to Reggie Nelson. Actually, right after uh, he threw an interception to Sean Williams, which led to the go-ahead touchdown uh, from from Andy Dalton going to AJ Green, and then couple, like maybe a couple of plays later, Roethlisberger threw an interception, terrible pass to Antonio Brown to, to Reggie Nelson. Mike Nugent's kicked a field goal, kind of sealed the game. It was just kind of like you know, to me against obviously that team in that moment, you know, going up against certain perceptions, going up against certain narratives, you know, just circling around the league. It was it was an amazing play made by Reggie Nelson, a terrible play made by Ben Roethlisberger, kind of established the, the status of where those two teams were at, at that moment at, in, during that season and where, you know, how that season should have ended for both those teams and kind of where they were going. And it was just a nice moment and just obviously a, a, a tall hill for me to stand on from, from what happened during that game. I like it. And uh, definitely, that was that that ugly ass game that was like thirteen to ten or something like that. Sixteen to ten, I think. Yeah. Uh, oh God, yeah, that was that was a tough one to watch, but a, a good win nonetheless. And that play was, I, I definitely remember that play, um, a big one for the Bengals that year. That was the game. I think Vontez Perfect also came back and was just a maniac in that game. Right? Was that uh, was that when he was that when he injured Le'Veon Bell? I, I believe it was. Yeah, yeah, I believe it was. Yeah. yeah that's a shame. Uh, Number five for me is in somewhat recent memory. I'm going to go with uh, Carlos Dunlap in, in on December 14th, 2014 against the Cleveland Browns. Johnny Manziel, the probably one of the most entitled and cocky for no good reason players that ever suited up in the NFL, was the starting quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. And in a game that the Bengals beat the Browns 30 to nothing, Carlos Dunlap and the rest of the Bengals defense absolutely harassed Johnny Manziel that day. And on one of the sacks that Carlos Dunlap had of Johnny Manziel, he did Manziel's money sign. I believe it was, I have, I'll have to double check, but I believe it was in Cleveland. Uh, So on their home field, one of his first, I think it was either his first start or one of his first starts. And uh, welcome to the NFL, Johnny. And it was a, a an absolute massacre. Johnny Manziel, I think, threw for 80 yards and two interceptions that day. No touchdowns. Um, just a, a miserable day for him. And just rubbing salt in the wound a little bit was Carlos Dunlap doing his Manziel money sign. So that's number five for me. All right. Um Number four, I'm going to go 2013, pretty early in the year. Bengals at pa- Bengals against Patriots. Obviously, playing the Patriots and Tom Brady, it's never a guaranteed win at all. But something was very weird that day, and the the, the weather was very spotty. It was it was raining on, raining off again. Very ugly game. Andy Dalton definitely did not outplay Tom Brady that game. But Bengals had the lead. Patriots were driving. It the you know. Everyone was soaked in that stadium from what I could tell on TV. And for for some reason, the rain just started monsooning down on the Patriots. So as soon as, like, the ball was snapped, Brady threw towards, like, the left uh, pylon of, of the end zone. 
Adam Jones is just there. He tips it up and just falls in his lap. And then like the rain stops like a couple seconds yeah. after Adam Jones missed the interception, basically sealing the game. You know, Patriots are just like frustrated out of their mind. Belichick is like 500 degrees red on, on his face with, with what happened and how just the weather just magically worked in their favor in, in the Bengals favor, which just basically never happens. It was just like, just, just being the Patriots in, in any way, shape or form is amazing. We don't, the Bengals don't really do that that often. Just in the way, in the miraculous way to happen, it was just a chance for us to sit back and say, hey, this, this kind of stuff does happen to us, I guess, sometimes. That's a good one. That uh, is one that I uh, kind of forgot about a little bit. And um, that is, I, I think that's the only win the Bengals have against Belichick. Um, as, of as all time? Uh, well, in, in – as Patriots head coach, I believe so. I'll have to. I'd have to double check that. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say you're wrong, but that's still shocking. <laughs> yeah, uh, they they have not had, and most of the losses, as we all know, most of the losses that the Bengals have suffered at the hands of Tom Brady and Bill Belichick have been absolute massacres. So, yeah, um, you know that that's that's a good one, John. I, I forgot about that one. I'm going to go for my number four. I'm going to go with. Uh, December 18th, 2005, in a game against the Lions. Now, normally a game against the Lions means absolutely nothing. It's an interconference game, and both teams usually aren't very good. But on this particular Sunday, late in the year, the Cincinnati Bengals under Carson Palmer were basically needed a game to – needed this game to clinch their first playoff berth in 15 years, and a lot of people, including uh, longtime cynical Bengals fans, a lot of people thought that the Bengals would play tight, would not show up, and that this game would be kind of a trap game for the Bengals, uh, and, and they would have to wait till the end of the year to potentially clinch. Well, lo and behold, the Bengals took care of business in Detroit and uh, to the tune of 41 to 17. And I have uh, in my little bangle, for those of you who uh, are watching the live YouTube or, or watch our YouTube uh, videos, I have a copy of the Cincinnati Enquirer newspaper from shortly after that game, Rudy Johnson putting on the playoff AFC North champions hat. Uh, very cool moment. And uh, emotional moment for a lot of Bengals fans, but uh, another another cool one that goes with it. Um, John Kitna splashing the Gatorade on Marvin Lewis. There, <laughs> you can see that one. Uh, yeah, quite a quite a caption there. But um, so to me, that was a you know what everybody thought we were going to trip over our own shoes. Everybody thought we wouldn't go in, even though the Lions weren't a good team that year. I think they finished five and eleven. Um, even though they were not a good team that year, uh, the Cincinnati Bay and the Cincinnati Bengals were, they thought that a lot of people thought this is going to be a trap game. The Bengals came in and absolutely stomped the lions and took care of business. Took a, took a sip of the tea. That's a good one. And I miss, I miss seeing an actual good player wear the number 32 for the Bengals. So that, 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 that brought back <laughs> memories. Well, Hey, Travion Williams took that number now. So yeah, hopefully, yeah. hopefully something happens there. Maybe there is some hope. That is the definite curse that needs to be broken. Um, my number three is going to continue a weird trend that I really didn't expect, but it's another interception made by a Bengals defender. 
Uh, we're going to go to the 2014 season. Um, Bengals were hosting the Broncos on Monday night, a couple days before Christmas. I remember watching this game in my basement. My mom's wrapping presents. My mom was a Steelers fan, watching this game with me. And I was like, just be, just like getting sick. And obviously the Broncos coming off, you know, Super Bowl champs, still have Peyton Manning playing at a reasonably high level for Peyton Manning standards. And um, I remember just being a heavy underdog in this game, even if it, it was at home, because there was still just the narratives of Bengals in prime time. You know, close to the playoffs, are they, are they going to be able to, you know, carry momentum into January with, with, with any sort of substance? And um, another rainy, another wet game for them as well, um, even though it wasn't wintertime. And it was just, it, it was an exhilarating game, just high scoring back and forth. You know, Dalton was matching Payton on, on a couple of drives. And, you know, year three for Drake Kirkpatrick, just finally, like, playing significant snaps, staying on the field healthy, for him to have the game-winning, the game-sealing interception in, in, in the monsoon to, to, I think, clinch a playoff berth, that was incredible, especially against the legend in Peyton Manning, especially against the, the, the defending Super Bowl champions on primetime right before Christmas. It was an, an amazing feeling just from just for me personally. I can't imagine what the atmosphere was like in, in the stadium at that at that moment, but like that was definitely a, a confidence booster, I think, for, for, for that team and for myself as a fan. Yeah, that was a – man, that was a, a great – a great game. I remember we had some extended family over uh, <laughs> that night and we were, my, my brother and I were trying to watch a game. We were a little bitter, but so we kept like going into one room and then going back and checking the score and watching, watching game, you know, uh, but definitely remember that one 37 to 28 was the score of that one. Uh, crazy game. I, I, I think that was the one. Uh, yeah. Uh, so Dalton threw a pick six to start the game. Yeah, yeah. And we it was kind of like, like, here we go again. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. And then all of a sudden, um, when the Bengals get the ball right back, Jeremy Hill pops off an 85-yard touchdown run, and then it was a lot of back and forth from there. So uh, really interesting game, fun game, good one there, John, for – that was your number three, correct? That was my three, yeah. Um, I'm going to go just kind of basic here. I'm going number three, Freezer Bowl, Um, and I'm saying that because, uh, you know, I think at that point the Chargers had Dan Fouts. Um, I think a a lot of people, they had a lot of firepower, Kellen Winslow, some good receivers, that sort of thing. Yes, it was on Cincinnati's home turf. Yes, a Southern California team was coming out to play in frigid weather, Um, but I think a lot of people thought that Fouts and that that attack would be able to to stifle the Bengals. Um, you know, uh, Ken Anderson kind of had a, a, a renaissance that year. You know, he had kind of gone through some ebbs and flows in his career and had a great year. Was the NFL MVP that year, um, and then it, it ultimately got the Bengals to the Super Bowl. So, um, you know, just a, in general, one of the most iconic games in NFL history, um, and of course a nice cup of hot tea was probably needed after after playing in that game because that was ridiculously cold. Um, and uh, guys, you know, your your buddy Lapham, um, I, I think he played in that game. And, and Munoz, they talk about that game. And, uh, oh, I, you got to be a pretty tough SOB to be able to play in, in, in that in that weather, uh, regardless of what team you are. So, um it, that to me was my number three. You look like you had some a comment, John. Well, according to my dad, you had to be a tough SOB just to watch the game. He tells me about <laughs> that game with his dad, and 
you know. Oh, oh grandpa, he went to it. Well, here's the thing. Okay, my my, my grandpa had season tickets since '68, and he gave the season tickets to me and my dad when Paul Brown Stadium opened and whatnot. And the story is that he crammed into into that car with you know three of his brothers. He had, he had four brothers, but three of them lived with him at the time, and they all like just like dressed up and however many layers it was required to watch a game in negative 50 degree wind chill, but they were just all in the car, just sweating their, their, their butts off because you know, they're on, they're outside yet and they're wearing like five coats and then they walk outside and, and they just like immediately freeze over. So he, 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 like, I believe that he went to the game, but the more time goes on and apparently like a hundred thousand people were at that game, even though riverfront only held like 50 or 60,000. So <laughs> I guess, I guess that's just the, the nature of that game and just the, 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 the legend of it. So that, that's a good one though. Um, yeah. It, it's, it's the, like the fisherman story, right? Like yeah, the, the yeah. fish was there. I, I was there. Were you there? Yeah, I was yeah. there. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> but but this, this is the great dynamic between us because you always talk about the old games and I'm, I'm going to stick with the more modern ones. My, right. my number two is going to be a game. I don't think a lot of people remember, but it was, it was, it was literally just like the hot like moment for me um, during the 2014 season. I think it was like late October, Ravens came into town. Another great game because the Bengals and Ravens always played each other close during the Marvin Lewis era, towards the, in the Marvin Lewis Andy Dalton era, and um, Bengals usually found found the way up on top more often than not. And this was again the occasion. Ravens were down by three um, late in the game uh, at their own twenty. Joe Flacco launches a moon ball to Baltimore Raven at the time, Steve Smith, and I, th- I think mm-hmm. makes the cat. He makes the catch and. Or no, I don't know. I don't remember exactly what happened, but uh, Steve Smith was called offensive pass interference. I remember him arguing so much on the field; it was a big controversy and and, and whatnot. And uh, eventually, like um, you know, it was a ten yard penalty. Ended up being like fourth and twenty. Ravens couldn't convert. And Dalton kneels. But just like just just seeing Steve Smith on on the field whining and and, and crying for for offensive PI, which was so blatantly obvious too, and put the Bengals I think four and two on the year for, at that point. But that was just. That, that was a good one. Yep, that was that was, and it started a run or was in the middle of a run where the Bengals just they had the Ravens number, and yeah. I think I think one of the only losses the Bengals had during a a pretty insane stretch of games was an overtime loss where Dalton threw a hail mary to Green uh, at the very end of the game to tie it, and then the Bengals lost on a field goal in overtime. That was like their only loss in a stretch of like seven games or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's a really interesting one. I am going to go a little old school. I did have a couple uh, towards the beginning that were uh, a little more recent, but I am going to go old school. This one, look, I, I, I wavered on which one to put number one, number two. This one is number two because it occurred during a Bengals loss. Um, so, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to kind of say, um, you know, tea sipping moment here when you're when you're you know tasting the sour taste of of a loss. So uh, in 1989, Sam head coach Sam Weich uttered some of the most iconic words in Bengals history when the Bengals were playing the Seattle Seahawks, uh, a game in which they lost 24-17, and at the time going into the game. They were, uh, they were seven and six. So they were in the playoff hunt. They had three games to go. At the time, Seattle was in the AFC, so it was kind of a critical game 
for the Bengals in, in potentially making the playoffs after losing the Super Bowl the year before. So, um, you know, this one and, – and what's really interesting about this game, and a lot of people don't talk about this aspect, but the reason why Sam Weish uttered words I will mention in just a second is because the officiating in this game was really, really poor. And, uh, you know, Bengals fans knew that this game was important for playoff purposes and, and everything. And, you know, they started throwing things on the field. They started throwing things at the referees. Fans did in the stands. Uh, kind of like stuff that was happening in the wild card game in 2015. But uh, all of a sudden, and, and you never see this happen in in modern games, but Sam Weish comes on the, the PA system within the stadium and he utters, you know, the next guy you see throwing trash on the field, throwing things on the field, get him out of here. You don't live in Cleveland. You live in Cincinnati. So the tea sipping moment there is a backhanded insult to one of the Bengals biggest rivals while telling the fan base there to knock it off. So uh, just an amazing, amazing soundbite. And it's probably just a 10 second soundbite. I probably should have had it queued up to play, but uh, uh, if it was a win, that would have been number one in my book, but uh, it, it made number two for me. You, you didn't need the soundbite. I, I saw your lips moving, but I heard his voice. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Uh, before we get to number one, John, there were a couple of suggestions in our live uh, YouTube chat that I, I wanted to to get to before we we unveil our number ones. Uh, Christian McCoy says Geo running all the way around the Dolphins on Thursday night football. That was point. insane. Yeah, that 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 was crazy. Uh, that game is just a, a bummer for me because that was the one where the Bengals lost Geno Atkins. But uh, yeah, that that was an insane play there. Um, Bill Williams talks about Giovanni Bernard as well. Gio running the ball on the Steelers on Monday night for the breakout run slash win. I think I think that was a screen pass actually. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it was uh, the Bengals ended up beating the Steelers on Monday Night Football there. Christian McCoy says obviously the comeback versus Seattle in 2015. Dalton won that game and Nugent. That game was awesome. Uh, that game was well. Let me let me put let me rephrase that. The fourth quarter. And overtime was awesome. Uh, leading up to that, not so much, but uh, a good one there. Um, so a couple of, of interesting ones and, and uh, good honorable mentions, I guess, for our list. Like I don't know the opposite of like tea sipping is for, in, in, in this scenario, but watching like the Bengals somehow get their fuel unit onto the field at the end of that Seattle game, it was like the most shocking thing my oh. eyes have ever seen. Like the, the fact that they were the ones to do that. Like of all teams, it was just – I, I was mind blown. I guess. Yeah, Dalton got rocked. Remember, yeah. he got he got absolutely <laughs> rocked, and they couldn't. He he was like stumbling off the field, and the and the other group had to had to sprint on. That's a good point. It's like it's like the the, the team that has the the worst clog management issues. This is what's going to get them in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Time out, left. How are they going to do this? So, oh my god, they got the, oh my god, they kick one in once. So, right. Yeah. So, right. Yeah, that, that that in terms of just quality games and watchable, that was, that's hard to watch. But my number one is actually your number five. Just the entire Johnny Manziel game. Like I had five two liters of tea. I was just drinking the entire game, just watching. <laughs> I, I remember I, I saved a picture of all the Bengals who ended up doing the the money Manziel sign. I see. Okay. I, I believe that's 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 Walls Gilberry. 
That's Ray Maluga in in Johnny Manziel's face. That's Adam Jones on the sideline looking at the camera. Obviously perfect after a tackle. Freaking Brandon Thompson got in on the action, I think, after like a tackle for loss, and obviously Dunlap after the pass deflection. That, that, uh, I think it was Manziel's first start. The fa- it was the second Browns game of that season. The first one, obviously, remember, it was dreadful. The Brian yeah. Hoyer breakout game. <laughs> that, yeah. was, that was out on Thursday night. And my Browns fans, I, my Browns, my friends who were Browns fans came down for that game and rubbed it into my face as well. Ooh. So that uh, so that was great revenge. And the fact that it was it was Manziel, he played awful in his first start, and they just just egged it on. It was that that was just uh, that was amazing. There was yeah. nothing more to say about it. Yeah, that was uh, that was especially. I didn't realize that many guys did it. Wow. Yeah, uh, that's that's pretty. <laughs> like when, when Brandon Thompson is basically like trash talking you, you know you you, you screwed up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Uh, I for my number one. I am going to stick. Actually, it ha- it occurred a week after the infamous. You don't um, you don't live in Cleveland. You live in Cincinnati. Game. One week later, again on their home field turf, and looking to uh, take things out on somebody, and it was Sam Weish's arch nemesis, Jerry Glanville, who was the then head coach of the Houston Oilers. Uh, on December 17th in 1989, the Cincinnati Bengals absolutely took it to the then Houston Oilers, 61 to 7. And I, I remember this. It, and I was I was a little guy, but I remember watching this game because the Oilers at the time going into that game were nine and six. The Bengals were uh, eight and seven. Um, I remember. So. You're go- we're going into uh, the fourth quarter here. The Bengals, you know, they, they get a touchdown, a 10-yard touchdown pass. They had Eric Wilhelm in the game. Ira Hillary catches a touchdown pass. Um, this is this is how much Sam Weish disliked the Oilers, disliked Jerry Glanville with, I believe, I, I don't have the exact time here, uh, in terms of time left, but towards the very, very end of the game up 58 to seven, the Bengals are driving, 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 just kind of killing clock. And instead of kneeling on the ball up 58 to seven, Sam Weish opts to go and trot out Jim breach for a 30 yard field goal. Instead of kneeling on the (laughs) ball and, and all of that, he kicks a field goal up 58 to seven to go 61 to seven and just embarrass the Oilers. Now, you have to get some historical context to this. There were games where the Oilers were doing all kinds of late hits. That's the kind of stuff Jerry Glanville allowed. They were they were, they were kind of cheap shot artists, but they, for a couple of years, they were tough to beat with Warren Moon, uh, Drew Hill, Haywood Jeffries, all you know, all kinds of guys. Lorenzo White, I think, was the running back. So they had a lot of good good players on that team. But um, there was a lot of there, there was no love lost between those two coaches. And there was actually a very interesting NFL top 10 countdown. If you ever watched that, it's an older one. Uh, basically, one, it was top 10 rivalries. And one of them was Jerry Glanville against the old AFC Central. And it talked about how Sam Weish, Chuck Knoll, and uh, uh, Marty Schottenheimer at the time, the Browns coach, all despised Jerry Glanville. 
uh, and uh, just the way he, uh, his bravado and all of that, if you can find it on YouTube or something like that, I highly recommend you check it out. Very interesting stuff. Very funny. Glanville was just a cartoon character of a head coach. It sounds um, like a, like a early day Greg Williams. Yes, kind of. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but Glanville was a guy, if you don't know him, he was a guy who would leave like tickets at the box office for Elvis Presley and, uh, you know, James Dean and, you know, just cartoon character of a, of a human yeah. being. But uh, it was just hilarious that instead of showing good sportsmanship and kneeling on the ball up with such a high score, <laughs> Weiss says, no way. We're, we're getting more points. Uh, and in talking about the game, Jerry Glanville <laughs> said, uh, I think I think Sam would have tried to beat us by 100, but the clock ran out. So uh, <laughs> if he could have. So, uh, you know, uh, kind of a comical game, but uh, it was a statement game, especially after what happened the week prior with bad officiating, a bad loss, that sort of thing. And uh, ultimately that, that – game the week before cost the Bengals a, a playoff berth as did a loss the next week against the Vikings in the final week. But um, in between those tough losses was a very comical, very entertaining game. Uh, thanks to Sam Weish. So those are our top five tea sipping moments by the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, as we, as we head into the July 4th holiday, uh, Ken Dipple says, how about the Patriots game when Huber kicked a bomb from the end zone and the dirt driving rain? Yeah, I don't, I don't, sorry, sorry to Kevin Huber. I don't really remember the, the punter all that much necessarily, but, uh, Bill Williams on the one that I said says Jerry wouldn't shake Sam's hand after the game. Yeah. He just ran off the field. Uh, good one from Keith undefeated chiefs when they, when they lost to Cincinnati in 03, that was a good one. Um, so some good, some good memories. And you know what, John, we wanted to do this because we feel like this was a positive thing after some bad news that Bengals nation received with Jonah Williams last week. It was kind of time to, to up the positivity a little bit as we continue to march towards training camp. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. We just talked about our top five tea sipping moments, if you will of the Cincinnati Bengals. And we did nominate a couple of potential preseason heroes as we get into, uh, get closer to training camp. You can get this program on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google play, on megaphone. You can get it on YouTube and cincyjungle.com. John, I think we've got a few minutes left to talk maybe about uh, a couple of potential breakout. Let's do one each to kind of okay. keep the, the time manageable here. Uh, potential B Bengals breakout players in 2019. So for those who have either listened to this show or, or mostly if you've read a lot of our articles on CincyJungle.com, this is kind of a yearly feature that we have done uh, with, with regards to the Bengals and as they enter training camp, as training camp kind of starts. So we hope to kind of keep this uh, going a little bit continuing this over the next handful of episodes. But basically, we look at guys that we feel could step up and contribute at either a relatively high level or pretty high level, depending on their role the previous year, um, where they were at in terms of a team the previous year. Um, if it, it can be a rookie. It can be a veteran. It can be one of those guys that's maybe two years in, three years into his career, and maybe looking to take that big leap so um, you know, that's kind of the criteria a little bit on our 
list here. So, John, give me a name that you think could be a potential breakout guy where we said, wow, you know, didn't really, wasn't really on our radar last year, be it because he didn't do much for the Bengals or was on another team and or as a rookie. And now I think immediately in 2019, we're going to be talking about him as one of the guys that can be attributed to the team's potential success. So when thinking about guys like this, I looked at the criteria of guys who followed in the same footsteps as like Tyler Boyd, because before Boyd's breakout season, he like really stepped up towards the end of the 2017 season. We heard a lot of hype about him that, you know, the, 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 the following off season about how he's really taking that momentum and put it towards his further development. And then he really proved it in 2018. So looking at guys who really stepped up towards the end of the 2018 season, the first guy that popped to my mind was Sam Hubbard. And, you know, for the first eight weeks, his PFF pass rushing grade was actually just 52. And the last eight weeks of the season, he raised that grade up to 76, which is about a couple points below, I think, Carl Lawson's overall grade for last season when he was still rushing the pass at a pretty high rate. So Sam Hubbard finished last season extremely well as a pass rusher, um, doubled his pressures during that amount of time. He really had a really good game against Oakland, but Oakland had horrendous tackle play turn in that game and yeah. just really just took advantage. But he played well towards the end of the season as well. You know, the, the Browns game, the Steelers game, he had a handful of pressures as well. And just towards the middle of the season, he was really just in that that, that really big lull because he was playing more inside. And, you know, as a run defender, he wasn't very well utilized there and just wasn't getting opportune pass rushers from the inside when they had you know minimal depth there. When he started playing more on the edge, just getting more of a feel for both sides, he just really started get, getting more comfortable. And someone really has to take over that Michael Johnson role, and he's already a good run defender. So I don't have an issue with – I don't think he's going to struggle or have have any sort of drop-off with, with replacing Johnson there. It was always just taking that next step as a pass rusher because he was, he was, he was always explosive. He was always uh, flexible as an athlete. But just kind of putting it all together with his hands and with his counter moves and all, all that kind of stuff, that's gonna that's what is going to take for him to really elevate himself as a pass rusher. And taking that momentum that he had from last season – Putting it towards a full 2019 season can go a long way because besides Dunlap, you know, they have Lawson coming off a torn ACL, and then they basically have no one as, a, as an edge rusher present. So to have Hubbard really step up and, you know, break out as a legitimate pass rusher, someone who they can count on for all three downs if, if they need to, that's very important. And I think that he has taken those necessary steps, at least from last season, to push, you know, gain some momentum going into the season. But he still has to make that jump. But I think he's he's got the, he's got the you know, Required athleticism to do it. It's just a matter of just putting it all together now. I like it. Uh, so there are a couple of routes that I would would want to start with. Um, you know, there's actually a couple of veterans that I'm thinking about uh, putting on this list here. But I'll kind of go with a little obvious and one that is uh, a rookie. But one a, a rookie who is, go, is slated to potentially have a big role on this team in 2019, and that's Jermaine Pratt. Um, and he just seems like a guy who does everything of, from that position at a adequate to above average type of level. Uh, he's a good tackler. He's got good football IQ. He showed some some prowess in rushing the passer a little bit in college. Um, he actually ran relatively fast uh, in the 40-yard dash, so he's got decent speed. He has the ability to step in and be a, a very valuable piece on this defense. Um, and 
really, if he does break out, that's great. But really, if you're going to look at breakout players, the guys they need to break out, this is probably one of the guys that tops the list because that linebacker group is really thin. Uh, it's thin behind Preston Brown, Jermaine Pratt, and and others, Nick Vigil, and and you know, there's the whole Malik Jefferson mystery, and you know, who knows if Jordan Evans has shown enough to stick around. So, um, you know, I think, I think that Pratt is going to be a big piece and a big key into turning this defense around from a deplorable year last year, and a guy that is 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 good, decent or good at a lot of different aspects of the position. And I think the tackling thing, we've talked about it a little bit in previous episodes, John, I think the tackling thing is of paramount importance. You know, I think the past few years, and I'm not really sure why, uh, it could probably be attributed to a lot of different things, injuries and uh, coaching malaise from Marvin Lewis, whatever, uh, and, and really not doing a lot of stockpiling at the position. But Tackling has been one of the biggest issues on this team and really has caused this defense to, to fall off a cliff. And I noticed that a lot last year, even when they brought in a guy like Preston Brown, who was also known as one of the better tacklers in the NFL. So um, I, I would say Jermaine Pratt should, should be a breakout guy, and it hopefully is because the Bengals probably need him to be. Yeah. And that was definitely his biggest strength coming out of college. Just a sure tackler and someone who just gets to the ball carrier quickly. And that, that's attributed to instincts. It's attributed to being a leader on the defense, knowing, you know, you know, knowing how to diagnose plays at, at a, at a quick pace because you know, playing fast and playing comfortable is so freaking important. And especially in a defense that, you know, had a lot of struggle just with communication, just reading plays in, in general, just having that upgrade is just, is just, crucial and I'm just glad he's signed and he's going to be a crucial part of this defense because they de- that, that of all of all the types of linebackers that, that, that they need he basically fits to a T exactly the things that they didn't have and I know he's not Devin White he's not Devin Bush because they were drafted ahead of him for a reason but in terms of what you could have gotten behind them there's just there's, there was just no better other linebacker that can give them exactly what they need in practice yep yep totally agree so those that's the start of our potential Bengals breakout players in in training camp and preseason and into the regular season this year um so we'll continue to do that over the course of the next handful of episodes and obviously we'll have um maybe some others that'll be a little bit more debate inducing than uh the ones we presented tonight john any final thoughts before uh we, we sign off here for the for the holiday weekend. Yeah, we're about two and a half hours away from the fourth, and my only advice is don't be Jason Pierre-Paul. Yeah, yes, yes. Be very safe, all of everyone out there, whether it's, you know, having adult beverages and handling a vehicle or uh, <laughs> handling, handling fireworks, handling fireworks uh, or, you know, uh, dealing with individuals who are inebriated and being aggressive, anything like that. Just be careful out there, but have a good time. Uh, a lot of people, what are you doing for the fourth man? Are you, are you doing anything fun? I, I, I found a pool, but no, it's, it's family friend. We're going over there, escaping the heat. I live on a golf course too. So we might catch some, some fireworks from the fairway. So it should be a fun time. Nice. Good. Yeah. Good. Um, 
I, you know, of course I want everybody to, to have fun, like I said, but I, and I don't want to put a damper at the end here, but I, I do want to say that it's, it's been a bummer to hear about some young current and former professional athletes pass away at, at really young ages. Uh, Tyler Skaggs of the, of the Los Angeles angels. And then I, I read today, John, a guy who is kind of of the uh, Kentucky, Ohio area, Jared Lorenzen, uh, the hefty yeah. lefty, um, you know, he passed away. Now I, I guess he had some, some long standing health problems that have really caught up with him. I'm sure it has to do with at least in part, you know, his weight gain and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so kind of a bummer. Think of, think of those families uh, for those. I mean, Tyler Skaggs was God, 27 or something, 28, uh, really young guy, but um just, you know, kind of a bummer, but keep their keep their families in your thoughts uh, as as you're having fun and enjoying uh, the holiday weekend. You know, it's not going to be happy for absolutely everyone out there. So, um, you know, try and keep things in perspective a little bit, but have fun, be safe, and uh, enjoy your fourth. Sip some tea, I guess, while you're out there, right, John? Um, maybe maybe iced tea since we're in summer, but go ahead and sip some tea, even if you're a Bengals fan. That's okay. Put some lemonade in there, maybe maybe a splash of bourbon. You know, who knows? There you go. That's a good way to enjoy it. Uh, again, this is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He is John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. You can get this program on a number of different platforms. I've mentioned it before. iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Megaphone, YouTube, and CincyJungle.com. So subscribe to our channels. Get in touch with us. We will. Since it's the holiday, we're not going to be doing a listener questions episode this week, but we will be doing one next week, and we'll probably – start kicking off the fantasy football segment and other segments on our uh, episodes rather um, coming up on the podcast. So get those and subscribe to our channels and get them how you can. We'll see you next time. Enjoy your holiday.